Welcome to the Covenant Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at covenantchurch.net. Good morning. Good to see you in the support group this morning. (laughs) If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16. We're looking at verses 16 through 30. Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 30, and I'd like to speak to you today about the reality of living for Jesus, the reality of living for Jesus out of this passage of Scripture. If you would stand with me as we read through the Word of the Lord, again, Acts 16, verses 16 through 30. We'll start there at verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer. Now, the the we here is Paul, Luke, Timothy, and Silas. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said uh, to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded Uh, to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace which you have shown us. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning to uh, be in the presence of other believers, to encourage one another in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to Uh, sit under the teaching and preaching of the gospel message. You have affirmed in your word that it is the gospel message, Lord, that uh, goes forth and transforms hearts, that makes us both hearers uh, and doers of the word. We can hear the message, O Lord, but we also must be doers of the word as well. 
And so I pray that you would help us by your mercy to hear your word today and to then act it out faithfully before you. We thank you once again for your kindness and mercy, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we seek to follow your word and to be obedient to the scriptures. Guide us in this message this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Just before you're seated, we do want to remember, uh, I just received a note, Liz Dooley in prayer, and uh, she's been struggling with a high fever. They're on the mission field. And so we want to pray right now that the Lord would be with her and touch her by his grace. Can you do that with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for your healing virtue, for your grace that you extend to each one of us. And so, Lord, we pray that even in this congregation, as ones who have been sent out from among us, Lord, that your hand would not be short, but that you would reach all the way to the Dominican Republic and touch Liz Dooley this morning. Lord, that even at this moment, she would sense the power of the Holy Spirit touching her. Lord, that she would be healed by your grace, that the fever would decrease, that she would sense that there is a church continuing to pray for her and lift her up, that there would be complete and total healing in her body. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for doing these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The reality of living for Jesus is this, that we may profess faith in Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, do works that are fitting for the kingdom, believe earnestly uh, in the scriptures, seek to walk them out faithfully, and the reality is that we will continue to walk through trials. As believers, there will be times in our life where even though we are walking according to the scriptures, even though we are doing the things that God has called us to do, that there will be trials that will come our way. And I think that's what this particular passage is helping us to understand and pointing to us. Just a little bit of background and context here. Uh, this letter, the book of Acts, uh, is written by Luke, who we know from the scripture was a Physician Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke, and the Book of Acts are some of the most eloquent writing in all of the New Testament. It's very polished. Uh, some have said it is flawless. Uh, Luke was an educated individual, and he was eager to be able to write a systematic history of how the early church grew from the time of the birth of Christ in Luke uh, on through going out on missionary journeys in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, this Acts is basically the second uh, volume or second companion to the gospel of Luke. It's written to a person named Theophilus, whose name means lover of God, and uh, he was most likely someone who was a higher-up individual in government, someone who was well-respected. This a uh, particular passage starts out the section of what's known as uh, the we passages of the book of Acts. Up until this point, Luke was gathering information from other people. So uh, in the gospel of Luke and up until this point in the book of Acts, Luke had been kind of a writing from secondhand accounts. Uh, most people think that most of the 
uh, information that he got. He got from Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and also the apostles. So he had kind of been information gathering. And then we get to hear this uh, portion of the book of Acts where they are at Philippi, and we see uh, change in pronouns to we, uh, continual use of we throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And so Luke is actually seeing what's going on here firsthand. With his own eyes, he's seeing what's playing out in the text that we just read, and he's writing it from uh, his own remembrance. And so here in Philippi, we have Luke and Paul and Timothy and Silas, and they are together. This is the team that is doing this particular missionary journey. They are in Philippi at this point, and this passage, I think, as we look through it, brings to our mind, or can bring to our mind, three points that I think we should try to remember. One is about our spiritual battles, spiritual battles. Two, our personal setbacks, personal setbacks. And three, supernatural victories. Supernatural victories. And we'll begin looking at spiritual battles in verses 16 and 17. What was going on prior to this encounter with the slave girl who had the spirit of divination, uh, the team, the missionary team, had come to Philippi, and they had gone to the place of prayer. So Philippi was not a place where a lot of Jews were gathered. There were a few there, but there was no synagogue there. And so what that most likely means is that there were not enough men to form a synagogue. You had to have a certain number of men in order to form a synagogue. So there probably wasn't a strong Jewish population in Philippi. This will be important as we look a little later on in the message. So we have these three men who are on the missionary journey, and what they do, they don't go to the synagogue, as would have happened to have been the custom, because there is no synagogue there. They go to the side of the river where they hear and understand that it's a place of prayer. So they go to the place of religious influence that's in the city of Philippi, and they'll to, to make sure we don't misunderstand, it's not simply a, it's not a place of Christian prayer necessarily, but a place where people would gather for whatever deity they were praying to, whatever God was the one that they wanted to pray to today. This was the place where they would sort of gather and come together and think about and pray and process what it was to live this spiritual existence. So Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke, when they first get to Philippi, they go to this place of prayer and they begin sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ and they encounter a woman whose name is Lydia. And Lydia, the scripture says, is a woman who is a seller of purple. Uh, that means that she was probably a woman of some means. This area had the, there was two forms of being able to dye fabric and purple through uh, berries and things you could dye fabric that did not last very long or there was sea life that you could gather and it had a purple substance in it and you could use that to gather fabric and that was the more prized of the fabrics and so she most likely in this area would have been able to gather that sea life in order to dye her fabric and to sell them for an expensive price to those who were high up in government, high up in religious circles, and otherwise who prized the purple garments. 
And so the missionary team goes to the riverbank and they begin preaching the gospel. And this woman named Lydia hears the message. The Bible says she was already a God-fearer, meaning that she had an understanding of God. She had an understanding that there was a deity up there, but she did not know the details about Jesus Christ. And so she hears the message of the gospel preached and she responds in faith to the message of the gospel. She receives the Lord Jesus Christ and the scripture says that her and her household are saved. And so being this place on the riverbank and this place of prayer and seeing the gospel work in the life of Lydia, what we find the four men on their missionary journey doing is returning to this place. And as they're returning to this place, there is one who has a demonic spirit in her who begins proclaiming that these men know the way of salvation and they are messengers of the Most High God. And so after a few days of this happening and hearing this woman who has a demonic spirit within her proclaiming what is right, that they are messengers of the Most High God, that they are proclaiming the means of uh, the way of salvation. Paul is annoyed, which I think is interesting word choice there. Paul is annoyed at her and he casts the demon out, and immediately as he speaks the words, the Bible says, the demons come out. You see this often in Luke's gospel and in uh, his writing in the book of Acts, that he tells about the immediacy of the power of Christ to transform situations. You hear straightway, suddenly, immediately. And so in this understanding, what we see in this particular passage right here is that Paul speaks, the Spirit comes out. In the original languages, the word that is used there is a Pythian spirit. If you were to look at that word Pythian, it would remind you of the word Python. Python. The God, the God uh, who many in this area would have prayed to was Apollos. Apollos, it is said, took on physical form in the form of a python. The priestess of the temple of Apollos, it was said, took on, was empowered by him to be able to foretell the future. And so think about the amount of money that these masters of this slave girl were will, uh, able and willing to make by taking a slave girl who through a demonic spirit, spirit could foretell the future. Think about the people who want to understand what's in the future for me. What is ahead of life for me? And when you find something with some sense of reliability, they would go and they would consult this woman for a price. And what we see, I think, in this instance is a point for all of us to note. What you worship will possess you. Think about that. What you worship will possess you. The slave girl proclaiming that these are the bondservants of the Most High God, a biblical term. And they are proclaiming the way of salvation. She's helping in their evangelistic means. 
But remember by the seashore, it wasn't just people who were seeking after God and trying to understand who God Jehovah was. It was all kinds of other religious systems that were gathered there and that were praying. And so as people had interacted with this slave girl, as people had uh, seen the experience of others with this slave girl, what they see is, oh, now she's just proclaiming another religious system that's the same as all the ones that are gathered here by the river. She's done this before. She's interacted with these other religious systems before, and now here's another one. And this is what the world wants us to see, is that Christianity is simply one among many. Many ways to get to God, and Christianity is good for you and good for your belief system, and thinking about Jesus and loving Jesus is okay for you, but I will find my other way to God, and that is just as acceptable and just as good as your way. The slave girl was associated with pagan worship. She was associated with financial gain from religion. The devil is not stupid. He's sly. He goes around prowling like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not all things that seem to be on your side are actually on your side. Matthew 7 and 15 says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's Jesus' warning to us. 1 John 4 and 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many are seeking to deceive you. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You and I are fighting spiritual battles. If you are here and you say, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I love Jesus with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, you will be engaged in a spiritual battle at some point in your life. It's not that you might be engaged in a spiritual battle. You may be engaged in a spiritual battle. You will be engaged in a spiritual battle at some point in your life. And so the way in which you are able to combat the spiritual forces that are arrayed against you is by putting on the full armor of God and walk in faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You will fight spiritual battles. You will fight spiritual battles. And oftentimes it seems as though those spiritual battles lead to personal setbacks. Our spiritual battles can seemingly lead to personal setbacks. And verses uh, 18 through 25, we see as Paul cast out this spirit in what verse 19 says, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was go gone. 
So the Bible gives us insight into the motives of people's hearts. So they're going to explain in a few uh, passages why they're upset, the people who own the slave girl. But the Bible gives us insight and tells us the real reason why they're upset with the slave girl. And it's right here at verse 19, why they're upset with the casting out of the spirit from the slave girl. Because when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone. This is why they're upset. And this is what we must also realize is as we battle those spiritual forces, as we battle the darkness, there is also an economic system, an actual economic system that is structured to come against God's people. I believe this firmly. That the enemy uses our economic situations, our ability to get gain, to cause our attention to be drawn after other things. So after Paul had cast out the demonic spirit, now the slave owners say, where is our hope of profit? And they get very upset and they drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace and before the authorities. And they bring them before the chief magistrates and this is what they say in verse 20 these men are throwing our city into confusion being jews and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being romans now does that sound the same as their hope of profit is gone it doesn't to me in fact, what you see that they are saying is these Jewish people, remember, Philippi was not a major Jewish center. These Jews are coming in and they're disturbing our ability to get gain. These Jews are coming in, and they are coming in proclaiming customs which those of us who are native Philippians find offensive. These Jews are coming in, and they're upending the system. These Jews are coming in who are different than us Romans. Oh, let's fast forward to 2019 do we hear these same things in our context today from the world system these people who are such and such of a color these people who are such and such of a race see how the enemy begins to point in and begins to divide Christianity seeks to pull together all nations, tribes, and tongues, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, and the enemy seeks to do the very opposite, which is what happens in this situation. The case of racism. If you cannot love your brother, whom you have seen, how can you love the Lord whom you haven't seen. If you can't love your brothers and sisters who you can look in the eye this morning, how can you love the Lord whom you haven't seen? Paul and Silas, in response to this accusation, and again, note who was beaten here. Paul and Silas are both native Hebrews. Luke is most likely a Greek, not a Jew at all. Timothy is Greek. His mother was a Jew. 
but because his father was a Greek, that's what his lineage is considered. So they take the two full-blooded Jews, but not the other two on the missionary journey. They take those two, again, a case of racism. They take those two, they pull them before the courts. They had struck them with many blows. Again, because Paul was a Roman, this was an illegal act. They struck them with many blows and threw them into the prison and put their feet in stocks. All the while, Paul and Silas had just been doing what they were called to do, which was serving Jesus. Picture the situation. One day down by the riverside, we go and we preach the gospel and we see a whole household come to faith. Where would you want to go the next day? You would want to go the next day back to the riverside and begin to preach again and begin to share the gospel again. And this is exactly what Paul and his team did. They went back to the riverside to the same place. God did it yesterday. God will do it again today. But what God did yesterday didn't happen today. What happened today was a personal setback. What happened today was when they were preaching the gospel, when they were sharing the message of the cross, they were beaten. They were put into the prison, and not just any prison, into the inner prison. They were put in chains, and their feet were put in stocks. Sometimes when you are focusing on doing the right thing, when your eyes are set upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will still encounter a personal setback. The reality of living for Jesus is that you will encounter these setbacks. Some will bear the burden of ministry in their own bodies. It is painful to be unjustly beaten for Jesus. And sometimes the emotional toll is as great or much greater than the physical toll. From Scripture... We have no understanding that Paul or Silas had a guarantee of long life or of ease of life. When the Lord called them into ministry, the Lord didn't say to Paul and Silas, no, if you follow me and do everything the scriptures say, do everything you know to be righteous, walk in my ways, that everything ahead of you is going to be okay. In fact, we have just the opposite. Jesus in John 16 at the beginning of the chapter begins to teach his disciples and tell them that I have told you all of these things so that you will not fall away. So what Jesus is saying here, I'm telling you some certain things here so that when trials come, when your life is upended, that you're not going to lose faith in me. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I have warned you about them. So what he's saying here is that I'm telling you that as you walk in faith with me, as you take one step in front of the other, and today I'm reading the Bible, today I'm praying to you, today I'm trying to live righteous to you, Lord Jesus, that there might be a time in your life when you are blindsided by the circumstances of life and you have a personal setback and you wonder, God, where are you? But Jesus continues down in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will, not might, not could, 
not maybe. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So if it were possible today and you and I were able to close our eyes and cup our ears and listen through history and our hearing was able to take us back to the Philippian jail where Paul and Silas were in chains and their feet in stocks and then cast into the inner prison at the midnight hour you and I might would listen in and what would we hear oh God where are you why am I here God, I've done everything for you and I'm beaten and bruised unjustly and unlawfully. God, they hate me because I'm a Jew. Why did you make me a Jew? Is that what we hear when we listen down through the ages? No. In the midst of pain, in the midst of the emotional stress of Paul and Silas of not knowing if tomorrow is going to be my last day, not knowing if tomorrow I'll be beaten again and hit in the same wounds that I took today, in the midst of the emotional stress, in the midst of whatever other challenges they were facing, at midnight when sleep would not come because their feet were in stocks and their body was in chains, what are God's servants doing? What are God's people doing in the midst of your deepest and darkest trial? In the midst of when you go through the dark night of the soul when you wonder God where are you what do God's people do the same thing that Paul and Silas have taught us to do they are singing praise to God I thought of a contemporary hymn we don't know exactly what Paul and Silas were praying that night but we could think about the words that could have been on their lips the words which they could have exalted to God and I thought about this hymn in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song hear them from the jail 2,000 years ago this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in this prison, in this challenge, in this difficulty, in this dark night of the soul. Here in the power of Christ, I will stand. Paul and Silas were fulfilling the commands of Scripture they were fulfilling what would come to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, which Paul penned in Ephesians 5, 18 and 29, 21. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. When you encounter a personal setback, 
when things are going along and it seems like everything is just going great and you get smacked from out of nowhere and you don't know where it is, you need to find yourself among someone. You need to find yourself someplace where you can lift up your voice to God. Paul and Timothy were encouraging one another in the Lord. They were singing praise and exaltation unto God. This is the point of the church. See, the Lord knew you could not make it on your own, doing your own thing, out some Sundays, in some Sundays, with the people some, out some. It doesn't work that way. Because you don't know when the smack is going to come right in between the eyes. And I've seen so many people who have gone through the challenges of life. And I think I wish you were in the church. I wish you had people who could come around you, who could love you, who could pray with you, who could sing, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Oh, that the Lord would help us to realize, to move past any kind of petty things and to not search after the economic system of the world and find ourselves surrounded by brothers and sisters who will sing with us in the midnight hour personal setbacks you will have them but Jesus has told us beforehand so that we would not lose heart spiritual battles personal setbacks finally supernatural victories and verses 26 through 30 Paul and Silas did not know what was to come they did not know what God would do but the faithfulness of people who truly have set their eyes upon the Lord, who truly have exalted him in their heart, is to do what faithful people do. And that is, even though they slay me, yet I will continue to lift him up. I will have hope that I will see the Lord. Though whatever comes my way, though whatever challenge, though whatever difficulty, praise will be found upon my lips. And that is what Paul and Silas are doing in the midnight hour, in the prison, in the inner prison, feet in stocks, body in chains. They're doing what Christians ought to do in the most difficult moments of our life. And in the most difficult moment of life, Suddenly, in the challenge, suddenly, a great earthquake. The foundation was shaken. Immediately, all the doors were open, and immediately, everyone's chains were unfastened. See the pace in the, in, the book of, in the book of Acts that Luke is writing to us. Immediately, suddenly, something happens. Suddenly, something transforms. Now, I can tell you this, that at the midst of your trial, in the midnight hour, you may sing to God, and your suddenly may not come at 12.15. Your suddenly may not come at 1 a.m., your suddenly may not come at 3.30 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. or 6.30 p.m. But this is what I can tell you. Your suddenly will come. Your suddenly will come from the Lord Jesus Christ because you and I have a blessed hope. There are some people who I've seen in this life who walk along this life. They've got challenges in their body. Their family's not right. And yet they keep putting themselves in a pew Sunday after Sunday, praising the Lord and exalting him. They've lived a life of 
faithfulness. And you know what? On this side of eternity, when they close their eyes in death, they open them to the suddenly. You and I have a hope that not only that suddenly may overtake us, but the other suddenly, when those who are alive and remain, when Jesus Christ steps out on the clouds of glory and he transforms everyone to his glory to those who have proclaimed faith in him, that is a suddenly. But I also still believe in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to transform you in the immediate. I still believe that there are people who have sickness in their body, that the Lord Jesus Christ encounters them by the power of the Holy Spirit and suddenly they change by the grace of Jesus Christ. I still believe that there are people who encounter Jesus Christ and they come in and they are drug addicts. They are perverts and the gospel transforms them. They have a suddenly encounter with the Holy Spirit. I still believe that the Lord Jesus Christ can transform people's lives. Do you believe in suddenlies? You and I ought to expect that God can transform us. You and I ought to expect that it is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the question this morning is, are you in chains? Are you in prison? Are you in the inner prison? Can you even see the way out? Is it dark? Is it dank? Is it nasty where, where you are? Don't forget. God still transforms suddenly. Yes, there are great things that can be done through programs and lengthy 12 steps and whatever else. There are things, there are good things that have been done there. But if that is the only place that we put our hope, and when I flip through the book of Acts and I see mighty miracle, the power of God, God's people changed by the gospel, God's people seeking him, praying him, going through the fire, as they say in the book of Hebrews, being sawn into and everything and encountering all these wicked and evil things. And then I see the miracles of God. I see that there are people who are delivered from demonic spirits. I see that there are lame beggars who are healed. I see that there are those who are dealing with sickness in their body who are transformed. And I tell you, I don't have to wonder because I believe it with all of my heart that those things still happen in our day. We don't have to live a life where we are consistently without the power of God present, suddenly. If you're going through a trial or challenge today, if you wonder, where is my suddenly? Sometimes, suddenly isn't a complete deliverance from your situation. Paul suddenly happened and you read later on, he gets thrown in jail again. He gets beaten again. He's shipwrecked. You can read it in the scriptures. But suddenly tells us, God sees us in our situation. God sees us in our problem. 
God sees where you are and where you need him to interact. And sometimes that suddenly is giving you enough energy, giving you enough gumption, giving you enough ability to in the midnight hour exalt his name in praise. Suddenly are an opportunity for God to receive the glory for his mighty works. And I will warn you with one last thing. There are times when you're in the deep, dark night, when you don't know which way is up, when you wonder where things are going to come together. There are times when you are there and you're tempted to give up. You're tempted to walk away. You're tempted to turn your back. I want to encourage you and I want to warn you today. Do not give up on the cusp of a supernatural victory. What if Paul and Silas had sang until 1130? What if they had quit at 1145? What if they had said, Silas, forget it. He's not going to come through this time. 1159. Don't give up. Continue to have faith. Continue to walk faithfully. Continue to believe what Jesus said in John 6, 16. You're going to have these trials. You're going to have these difficulties. Some of you are going to be greater than others. Some of you are going to walk through the fire, and it's going to feel like you're burnt on every side, but keep praise upon your lips. Keep your eyes looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't turn away to the right or to the left. You will hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. That is what the Lord has promised to us. Do not give up on the cusp of a supernatural victory. For Paul and Silas, it was free freedom and victory over the demonic forces and for the jailer's household it was that they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a supernatural victory that you are asking the Lord to do in your life this morning? Will you stand with me and we will gather for prayer. We will see the Lord help us to experience the suddenlies. Do you trust him by his grace and by his mercy to work in your life as God seems fit for you. To allow God to transform your mind in such a way that you don't long after the things that you used to long after. You don't want just freedom from all the trials. God, I just want to be free from all that stuff and do something for you. No, Lord, the Lord says my grace is sufficient for you to walk through the trials of life and to keep your faith no matter what they look like. Will you gather for prayer here this morning in the front? The altar is a place that we have consecrated as a place for us to come to the Lord, for us to seek Him together. And maybe this morning, you need God to do a sudden work in your life. You need the transformative power of the Holy Spirit to work in you and to suddenly do something. I can't promise you that today is the day when all the physical circumstances change. 
But what I can promise you is that God Almighty will work in your life. And as you continue to sing praise and exaltation to Him, as you continue to lift your voice to Him in song, as you continue to pray to Him, He will hear you and sometimes, suddenly, will happen. Come to the Lord. Let's seek Him in prayer today. Let's pray together. Those of you who are coming, gather with those who are front. Lay hands on those who are here that we can pray together as the body of Christ. Will you come and pray for those who are gathered here at the front this morning? Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the power of the Spirit. We thank you, God, for the testimony of Scripture. Lord, we stand firm upon the promise that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We stand firm upon the promise, Lord, that a day in your courts is worth a thousand elsewhere. God, we stand firm upon the promise that there is nowhere else that we would rather be than in your presence. And Lord, whatever we must do to be in your presence, Lord, I pray that while we have breath of life, that the songs of praise would not cease to come through our lips. I pray, God, that as we have breath of life, that prayers with stammering lips would not stop, that there would be those who even with groans within them would come out in praise to you because we are a people that no matter our circumstance, we are a people who believes that no matter what the enemy may throw against us, no matter what the spiritual battle may be, no matter what the physical malady that may come our way might be, we will stand firm in you. We will not falter, but we will be of good cheer, for we know this one thing. There is a man, and his name is Jesus, and he has overcome the world. We thank you, God, for this firm promise. We thank you for the testimony of the Holy Spirit that resonates in our heart that these words are yes and amen. And we stand before you today as your people.
asking you, Lord, that as you did in the book of Acts, suddenly touch us again, break in upon us, move upon us, use us for your glory that we will testify of your power and might. May you and you alone be praised. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Go in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ.